Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. At Simple Mobile, you get the no-contract advantage. Those other mobile companies make you think you're in control, but you're really not. Simple Mobile is different. You can get a powerful nationwide 5G network all without a contract. It's the reliability you need when you need it, with no mystery fees, no activation fees, and no contract ever. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. 5G-capable device and SIM required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. 5G upload speeds not yet available. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring in the Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Welcome to another edition of Bring in the Closers. Ryan Ray alongside a cat and Ben Samuels. Cat, how's it going today? Ben Samuels? Really well. <laughs> How are you doing today, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. I mean, I was half joking over the, um, you know, when we got on the podcast and I said that the, uh, you know, how can you not be in a good mood? I mean, the markets are going up. Good things are happening worldwide. There's, there's nothing to indicate that, you know, we're, we're in a downturn at all. Um, you know, whether or not any of that's accurate is a whole different conversation. If you do believe that though, I also have some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. So I mean, the Dow's up, there. uh, 3% today. The NASDAQ up almost three, uh, Dow's up 3.64. NASDAQ's up almost three. Alphabet, which is Google's up over two, and Apple's up seven percent. Almost recovered from last week. Last week was brutal. Oh, yeah. Lord. I mean it was like 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 thirty thousand points or I don't know. It was something crazy. It's like, oh my gosh. So which brings us to this podcast episode. The most important podcast episode we've we've ever done. And um I wish we could play the Joe Biden clip. Can he hear that? He can't hear that, can he? I can send it to him. Anyway, I want to be able to play, Nate. I want to be able to play. Is oil and gas dead? Long live oil and gas. Is oil and gas dead? Is it dead? Ben Samuels, yes or no, is oil and gas dead? You know. See, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. It was a yes or no. It was a yes oh, or no. no. Okay. No. All right. Well, I don't think so either. So that's uh, that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week, Ben. Okay. And I was short and sweet. I appreciate that. That's, <laughs> man, how, how efficient is that? Just yes or no, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, they came, they came for the fact. If you want to hear us uh, ramble on, you can. But if you wanted to know that answer, there it is. We put it in the head. We put it. Is only gas dead? If you want to hear us ramble for, you know, whatever it is. Nate's looking like I'm crazy. Nate, what, what Nate? You said That's they came here a- for the facts. Our listeners don't come here for the facts. That's true. That's they a good come point. Here for the story. That's true. So if you came here for the facts, you're new to the show and you don't realize what this show's about. Yeah. For the rest of you, we will now just spew things that we don't really believe in hopes of. That's actually not you know. a bad idea. I think from now on, we should just do like a like yes or no, like couple of questions at the very beginning to like talk about what we're going to do for the next 50 minutes. And so if you don't have the 50 minutes, you can just get like what Ryan wants to say, like yes or no, good, bad, or indifferent. And just, you know, just move on. Hit me. I'm ready. Uh, I'm know, ready. Ask me anything. Kind of. I mean, because I've noticed when you play the podcast on like two or two X or two and a half X, 
I mean, obviously I come through like cleanly and it, yeah, and it sounds not, great, not me. but a lot of times you, you, you just too, sound yeah. jumbled. And so yeah. if we can help, talk the, too fast. You know, if we can help the listeners out. I a little talk bit. too well, fast. I'm sorry. You just have too much. I, no, you just have too much knowledge up there that you're trying to get out in a short amount of time. And so it just comes out. Yes. It just comes out quick. You know, thank you for acknowledging that. That's important. I'm slowing it down. This is me at like six speed. I'm really slow right now. So, um, trying to allow folks to listen to me on two speed. I know that's a problem. You're not the only one who has ever mentioned that to me. Thank you, Ben, for bringing that to my attention. No, so you don't slow down. I'm slowing down to try to be normal. Oh, yeah, because like, I already stopped yeah. slowly enough. Is right. that what you're getting at? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, by your own admission. Actually, no, the definite, the opposite, but like, don't whatever. Look the facts. Don't look the facts. Not important. Did he not just say, did we not just record him saying that he sounds good at two and two and a half speed and I, sp- I sound jumbled? Did he not just say that? Like, I mean, he said ago? that he sounds clear. Yep. Okay. Okay. So I don't know. Like, don't let the facts get in the way of the facts, but okay. Sure. Whatever. Ben, yes I or no? Can, I can just articulate. It's okay. Yeah. You're, 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 you got like Ooh. 16 college degrees. So cool. Good for you. Um, just, just one. Just one. I thought you went to two different colleges. Count. You went to like Boston and just, then you went to Colorado. Uh, the post VA doesn't count. That's like more of like a certificate. Like oh, that's okay. Not a second okay. degree. Okay. But it's, okay. Yeah. But thank you. I appreciate that. No, no, no masters. I've been trying to get you to take some courses with me through like Harvard or MIT or Rice, but you're just too busy. So you know, I, I guess it's I'm hard to. It's solo. it's really hard to say. Should I meet with an ambassador or take a course with Ben? It's it's a toss up. I think about it often. Um, but so far, the ambassadors have won out. Well. But, but no, the question really is, should I eat out at Burger King 10 times a week or should I go do a course online? I mean, it's not the, it's not the ambassador thing. You're, you're assigning the wrong values. But again, neither here nor there. Not a- so you're saying if I had Burger King less than 10 times a week, I could still meet with the ambassadors and do the course with you? I mean, if you were more efficient with your time, yeah, you probably could. Can we end the podcast there? Can That's we just, like, that. So are you guys going to actually talk about something today? I don't think so at this point. We're we're this is us. Apparently, we have a truce. We have a truce. So we're trying to. This is us gentle. I'm sparring. pretty sure the truce is broken. No, I, I haven't said a mean thing. No, the truth is definitely dead. He just hasn't admitted it yet, but that's not neither here nor there. So Ryan, you, you did mention is oil and gas dead? I'm curious. You know from. You know, we've seen this cycle time and time again, right? Different different market movers, different reasons that the market has uh, has uh, come down. You know, uh, you know, different loss leaders, etc. Uh, but from a from a firm that you know is focused on, you're, you're an oil field service company, uh, you know, with R squared in terms of you know the lion's share of your business is focused on new production and, and things happening out in the field. As a business owner, you know, in this market, what are the, some of the things that you're looking at? What, how, how are you, you know, kind of internally addressing the issues that we're looking at uh, on a day-to-day basis and kind of trying to plan for the next 10 months or, or you know, what have you? Yeah, well, the problem is um, I was really optimistic about the price of oil the second half of the year. And so, you know, you look at that and say, okay, we want to be in with the upstream companies because the second half of the year you, you think they're going to do well. And right now you're going, okay, well, the coronavirus has kind of, you know, knocked that in the head. Um, for us, what we try to do is to balance between upstream and midstream companies because the life cycle of those projects, the start and stop when they come on, those are at different times. And so we try to balance ourselves out between those and then try to balance ourselves out with the size of companies. So um, larger EMPs, smaller EMPs, larger midstream, smaller midstream. We're a little bit more diverse on the upstream side than we are on the midstream side. We have some, you know, some good midstream clients, but our, our diversity is a little bit more on our um, 
on our upstream side. The, the benefit is um, for us is that we don't need a lot of clients to keep us busy. So we're not like, um, you know, if you think of someone like Walmart where they have to have, you know, store to store to store to store producing, you know, a certain volume. We don't have to have that. So um, the flip side is, so that's the pro. The con of that is, is that one client goes down, that's a major portion of your business. So that's kind of the, 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 the pro and the con there. That, that's kind of the, the, the line that we walk. And so we try I to... I mean, are you finding... I would say, so we, we, you know, we try to figure out, okay, you know, um, and it's not, and, and, and the final thing I say is it's not as easy as saying, well, we want to pick up three more midstream clients, and so we can we can just go do that. We actually, you know, it's a process. It takes time. It's hard to do. Um, so you kind of have to hit both, try to pick up both, and just hope that the that the balance is, you're like, okay, hey, you know, we got a little bit too much upstream. Let's try to focus on midstream, but you're, you're, you're like, ah, okay, we still want to, you know, we can get clients on upstream, then we, got, we, we, we can't turn that down. So you kind of find yourself in a spot to where it's not as easy as just saying, hey, you know, we want to go out and, and do this. It's uh, trying to do two things at once and balance it. So that was actually, that's a great lead into my next question. I was curious if you can talk about a little bit, um, you know, there may be a lot of listeners that aren't even really familiar with the process. And so if you want to give maybe a 30,000 aerial foot view of, of just kind of generalities, that might be helpful to kind of frame it. But I was curious, you know, obviously a lot of your work or maybe all of your work uh, with R squared focuses on and, and is contingent on having certain MSAs in place with different groups. Uh, you know, so I think that that's kind of a double-edged sword in the sense that, like you were talking about, you already have established business, uh, you know, established clients. And so, you know, is there, do you find that because you're on an MSA list with a firm, they're maybe less likely to cut you and cut the work because if they were to cut you off of that and then maybe want to reapproach, they would either need to go through that process with a different firm of getting the MSA in place or kind of how, how does that work? And then kind of part B to that question is, I mean, are, are you finding that these firms that, you know, that, that the midstream, you know, sort of the service companies like you guys, I mean, are you finding that right now your clients are coming back to you and, and looking for, you know, cost cutting or, or looking to renegotiate or, or kind of walk, walk me through some of kind of what's happening on a day to day, you know, in, in this kind of market? Yeah, we have had one client who has called and said, hey, while the price is in this range, we are going to have to reduce uh, cost. And so, um, and that's better than saying, hey, we can't use you anymore. And so, you know, so um, so we we were, I mean, it wasn't we weren't walking around high fiving, but we were also like, okay, well, if that's, we can we can manage, and uh, it's gonna you know be tough, but it's not the end of the world. Um, as far as the MSA question goes, that's really gonna be so. Think about like this: if a company doesn't want to use us anymore, they could fire us and cancel our MSA. That's that's the exception, not the rule. Usually, they just won't use you anymore, but they'll keep you in the in the process. And so, if you think of a company like Kinder Morgan, they have as many MSAs as they want. And so what will happen is, is they'll cut some of them out over time because they're inactive. But the MSAs that they will have will be companies like ours, which are smaller, all the way to our largest competitors. And so all of those um, all of those companies, so if, if you get rid of R-Square Global, but you need someone to step in, you could find another company like our size, or you go to one of our large competitors who's already working for them and say, hey, we need you to pick up the slack. This, and they so Kinder Morgan and again I don't remember what their MSA process is like, but they might have a, an onerous uh, MSA process. We go to a small producer that's doing work like uh, you know Ben Samuels EMP. He might not have but one or two companies like myself um, out there working for him. But his process to get you approved is really easy because it's a small company. So so they may have less MSAs, but to go through the process is going to be a lot. You know their their risk mitigation is not the same as what Kinder Morgan's is. So that's kind of how it works. That's kind of your your. Um, when you're looking at that, you're going, okay. Um, and what, what we've seen is usually, unless you've made a, you know, a terrible mistake, um, 
usually they're going to phase you out over the course of a project. You know, okay, hey, we're doing this. Like on a pipeline project, it might be, well, you did preliminary, but you know what? We're not going to use you for construction taking or as-built, even though that would normally go to the same vendor. Sometimes it means something, sometimes it doesn't. But if they're going to phase you out, they might phase you out there or at the end of that project. If it's a well-staking job, they might say, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get this next well-staking package over to um, you know Ben Samuels and his group. And so they start phasing you out nice and slowly because there are certain things that they have to weigh on their side. So if you're out there staking wells for someone in New Mexico and you're behind, um, you could cost them um, the permitting you get the permits done in time. So you, you you know, so they had to kind of treat their vendors, uh, they're going to get rid of them in a certain way because the vendors could really hold them up on, on whatever projects they have. And so, um, but that's usually how we see it done. So with the smaller companies, they they can go get someone a lot quicker because they may not have a lot of MSAs, but they can bring them in and get them done. The bigger companies, they just have those, they have those companies that you're competing with. Maybe not on, you know, if I'm working for Ben Samuels, I might not be competing with another client, for ben, uh, another vendor for Ben Samuels because he's using us exclusively. But he just walks across the cubicle and goes, hey, I need a, I need a new survey company. And then that guy's got, you know, a guy or, or a girl or whatever. So that's kind of how it works from that perspective. How common is it to find uh, relationships where, you know, you may not be on the MSA list of a certain firm, but uh, but a firm that, that does similar work to you guys is on that MSA list. And, you know, they may be full up. And so they kind of third-party contract to, to you to you I mean just do things like that happen or, or is it you got to be on the MSA list to get the work and you really can't do a workaround um, yeah the, usually the MSAs require that if you're going to use a subcontractor you you have to the subcontractor has to have the same insurance requirements um, and so we've looked at doing some sub stuff we've been asked before and we've looked at it the problem is usually um, the rates just don't work you know the rates just don't work. What we want, you know, so we're going to send our guys to work for Ben. Uh, ben wants to make some money off those guys because he got the client. So he's going. He wants either he's got to mark it up or ask us to take a hit. Well, we're taking a hit, and then we're also exposing our guys to Ben, who Ben might try to hire away from us or something like that. And so it, it does happen. But um, there are some groups that are more just contract crew type groups, and that's all they do is kind of go around as a, you know, two or three guys here, or two or three guys there, and they'll go work for Ben, and they go work for me or, or whatever. You do see that on some level. Um, but, um, but no, it's um, it does happen. Uh, you will see maybe the 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 more norm will be is, you know, a Sam or a Universal. I don't know one of those big large companies. You know, they they'll get a project that requires fifty crews overnight, and so they might then want to bring in someone. But uh, but that that's more of the norm than anything else. Because gotcha. no, because not having the crews is part of it, but you also have to um, you have to uh, you also have to have the drafting capacity as well. You also have to have what? I'm sorry. The drafting capacity. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I'm, I don't. I think I have a follow up. You answered those questions so eloquently. I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pass the buck on to you. What, what's on your mind? Well, back to what we started with. Is the is the oil and gas industry dead? It's up and down, up and down. Is this time different? Um, you know, one thing on the Texas Oil Gas podcast we talked about was. Um, you know, this kind of this GPA mindset, you know, you as a college graduate with three degrees, you know this better than anyone else, is that you might have a good a good semester or a good quarter, but then you get an F on a midterm or whatever, and you finish out the rest of the year and you have good grades, but that big, that low F really hurts you. You couldn't get your GPA back up to an A or 2.0 or whatever, uh, 4.0, whatever, 2.0 would be me, you'd be 4.0. Um, so if you look at the last downturn, there's still companies who have never fully 
um, you know, reinvented themselves. They've, they've not made that transition from, okay, hey, we're going to roll out drilling uh, expansion to we're going to pay dividends and we're going to pay returns to our investors. So do you think now if we had a six- to eight-month low-price, what I'm calling below 50, low-price environment, how bad do you think it's going to be? I mean, it's it's about to get really bad for a lot of groups. Uh, you know, they're, you know, depending on who you listen to and depending on what market you're looking at, uh, you know, there's tens of billions of dollars of private equity money and Wall Street backed money that I think is going to leave the space altogether. Not not going to be like Chapter 11 and restructure. I mean, leave the space altogether. And so I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of opportunity for the guys that are, you know, in the groups that are well capitalized and have been sitting on the sidelines, kind of waiting for for the opportunity to buy because you know something you know that we've been talking about or have talked about on the podcast previously is that uh, you know so looking at minerals for a second just to give you a clean example uh, you know the seller's appetite the mineral seller uh, owner's appetite to sell their minerals at what I would consider market value uh, you know comparative to a buyer's appetite to buy assets at market value has become so wide and has been for such a long time that those deals have become harder and harder to make happen. And, and one of the reasons is because the seller has unrealistic, unrealistic expectations because you know they remember the days that oil was at $130 a barrel and they think that's going to come back. And so they're pricing you know, kind of what they want to sell at based on top of the market, whereas buyers are obviously looking to, to spend pennies on the dollar. And when you have that divide, and that's the same um, you know, with, with, if you're looking at drilling prospects, you know, what it costs to drill a well versus preferred IRR, right? And, and I mean, so you can look at this in any different market, but I think that the, the cost of capital and the, the metrics uh, that either mineral buyers or operators or, or landowners use to calculate these deals has become so wide that, that you're really in a space where until the market adjusts back to a normal level or, or, or kind of comes back to reality, uh, it's, it's going to be bad out there. And I know that might you know, be a little bit confusing, but so let me say in a different way. Right now, I think that what's happening at the end of the day is an incredibly healthy thing for the industry. It's ugly. It's, it's crappy. If you're in the industry, it's, it's not good. I know, I know, I know, I'm sure both of us know multiple people that have been cut in the last six months or so. That's going to, you know, that trend is going to continue. But I think what, what we're looking at is, Rather than, and we've talked about it before, but rather than these operators focused on and these mineral buyers focused on buying up positions and trying to just put a footprint on the map, I think the focus has turned into, you know, how can we uh, derive profit from our currently owned assets, which is a crazy notion, right? I mean, why in business would you want to get profit as opposed to just expand your footprint? I mean, we can talk about that at length. That's just insane to want to think about it that way. Uh, But see, see, hold on. I got to push back on that. How much do you blame on the industry versus how much do you blame on Wall Street for incentivizing the industry to act that way? So that's a great question. Um, I think realistically, it's it's certainly, I mean, I don't think there's assigning blame on either side. I think it's like a 50-50 thing in the sense that if you look at, so I, apologies to anybody. That, uh, I'm going to use a specific example and I'm going to name names because I, you know, I don't really care. Ben I Samuels. This uh, is Ben Samuels, not Ryan Ray, because I don't know what he's about to say. This, <laughs> this, is, this is Ben Samuels saying this. Um, I don't know who, who may be listening that came out of Halcon, uh, but Halcon has has restructured, I think, two or three times in the last six or seven years. They've come out of Chapter 11. They have repeatedly raised substantive nine-figure funds and then and subsequently dive-bombed those, those uh, 
those assets or those funds um, in the sense that they, you know, they, they bankrupted again. They just recently spun off into, I believe the firm is called Bellatorum. Bellatorum is managed by the same team that was managing Halcon. And they just, again, just like in the last six months, got a commitment for just under a billion dollars. It's the same management team that has proven a number of times now that they don't know what they're doing, but yet they were still able to get funded because Wall Street, you know, or because Halcon has this name and name cachet. So, so that I don't know if you assign blame to the uh, to the management team or to Wall Street in the sense of your, you know, what's the definition of or you know, of insanity doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results. I mean, so so in answer to your question, I don't really know who's to blame here or kind of who's the loss leader. Um, but there has been an, a, an intense focus on, oh, you know, once we, and the other thing is how to model, model these things out, right? And so, I mean, generally, if you're talking to Wall Street, the where they're going to pitch these things in terms of raising capital is, okay, operator X has these many, well, you know, this many wells in this area, and you know, they don't take into account decline curves or, or anything that, you know, that the industry guys do. They just take into account where the acreage is, they find an EUR, they, they, they assign a value to that, and then, and then they fund it based on that. But there, you know, you and I know, and, and you know, the guys in the industry know that there's so much more to the picture than just, you know, how many ducks I have or how many wells I can drill on an acreage. Uh, you know, it comes down to how, you know, how are you going to drill those wells? Are they good wells? Are, are you know, are you doing multiple stages? All, all these different things that Wall Street is completely blind to. And so I, so I don't really know if there's a clean answer to that, but that, you know, that was a lot there. But I mean, what do you, what do you think? I, um, I would say that if you look at um, the Halcon example, and I don't know all the particulars there, so I'll just, this is me making up a hypothetical using that name. If the investors who are reinvesting in Halcon have all the facts to what has happened and they want to invest their money, then I have no problem. That's, that's, that's not on Halcon, that's on the investors. If Halcon is lying about why their investments went belly up, then that's on Halcon. So to me, it's pretty simple. As long as the information is being divulged, and I mean the information, the information that's reasonable to be handed over. So, you know, think about it like this. If I said, hey, Ben, I'm going to build an apartment complex, here are the risks. Okay, now list the, the 15th risk. And I didn't risk um, a tsunami coming from the Gulf of Mexico and hitting... Um, the, the apartment, because I'm a long way from the Gulf of Mexico, or an asteroid, or, or something like that. I didn't lose some kind of thing that, or, or um, you know, the zombie apocalypse. Things that I guess you could list, but they're not really reasonable. As long as that's not, as long as, you know, what's being disclosed so, is, 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 go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, mean, I completely understand where you're coming from, but let me tweak it a little bit. Yep. Because at, at a high level, I think this is what's happening you know, uh, operator X is going to Wall Street and saying, hey, we have this much leasehold, we can drill this many wells, you know, here's what we want to do. Here's what, how much money we want to raise. Wall Street says, cool, here's, here's the money, here's the check. And then operator X, what they do is rather than allocating those funds to what they had described, they go out and they acquire more leasehold. But that's, so they, but, they but, but, money. okay. But would you, okay, so let's take the apartment complex. I said, hey, I'm going to build a 32 unit apartment complex in Granbury and I need $5 billion. Would you have the contract written where I could spend the money on anything I want to? Or would you say, no, this has to be, goes, right. So again, now, if they're being nefarious, I hate to be be kind of wishy-washy, but I'm I'm saying if if that's what you're, if Wall Street is so smart and they tell us how damn smart they are all the time, then they shouldn't be writing contracts like that. And that's the thing. It's like, if you guys are geniuses, 
bring in a geologist. Hire some guys who know the industry and have them look over these contracts. It's not that hard, guys. Y'all have got... There is $2 trillion in dry powder of private equity money sitting around. This is not that hard if it's as simple as that. And that's how they paint it. But I just can't. I can't believe that those folks are that stupid. And if they are that stupid, they should be fired from their, their limited partners the next time they go around a fund. I, so, so taking it outside of oil and gas for a second, and I'm half joking when I say this, but what you know, what you and I need to do is we need to go pitch SoftBank on starting a mineral fund because they're clearly okay with they're Whatever. clearly okay with just, just like destroying billions of dollars. They don't care, and so you know, it's so, just as easy as hey, I need ten billion dollars to. They had work. they had WeWork right. That's WeWork guys right. So so many of them. Okay, yeah. We so if you go them, read yeah. the stories, so, this is a great example. If you go read the stories about WeWork. Um, and I don't know who had this, the Times or Bloomberg or whatever. If you go read the stories, the, the, the top bankers were hanging out with the dude that was the CEO of WeWork. And they were going to these parties, and there was girls, and there was booze, and there was a rock star lifestyle. That's Wall Street's problem. Because Wall Street's guys were going out, and they, they, they kind of had an idea that maybe this wasn't that great. And I, I get, I mean, listen... If you do a, if you do your best and you screw up, you lose a bunch of money. Then listen, I'm not happy about that. But w- with these situations, everyone likes to act like everyone from every side is doing their best, or one side's really bad, and the other side. And that's rarely the case. Wall Street is supposed to be the most sophisticated va- investors in the world, and if they don't know how to invest in oil and gas, then get the hell out because you don't whine to me about it. You're saying that you've got all these MBAs and you know you can figure all this stuff out, but dudes, if 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 a little old uh, oil and gas folks are, are, are duping you. Now, if the oil and gas folks are lying and they're being fraudulent, and that's definitely happened on some on the, uh, at some points, I'm not denying that. Then that's one thing. But if it's if it's a simple thing of oh well, we didn't get the contract set up right, and the guy used it for something we didn't think so. Uh, well, then guys, come on. How many lawyers they got sitting around up there that are charging you know two thousand bucks an hour? Right. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think we could, we could talk. Well. We could talk at length about this, and we could use specific examples. But maybe, maybe we've made the point. Maybe we can move on because I think, I mean, yeah, I think there's there's certainly you know the element of due diligence on both sides. I guess what I what I, I guess what I'm pointing to more so is that it seems as though in the oil and gas private equity space, the the focus on profit delivered back to the investors has been secondary to where is our acreage and how pretty does it look on a map. Uh uh, right, and and I think that that goes between yes, definitely some bad messaging from oil and gas. Also, not doing the, the due diligence from Wall Street. You know these PE guys. And I'm going to take a few shots here. Um, they're promising you know big time sexy re- returns. Okay, well you promise big time sexy returns. Sometimes you actually got to do a little work and vet the deals. You know it's not as simple as sitting there and uh, and run the math. So I would just say in general, Wall Street at the moment, I would agree with Joe Biden, and I would think of you as this. You're a lion dog face pony soldier. That's that would be there you go, Wall Street. <laughs> One more time, Nate. You're a lion dog face pony soldier. Bunch of lion dog face pony soldiers. So that's what I say to you, Wall Street, and you people who steal people's money. Why just give me your money? I'm not gonna lie to you. Not about that at I least. Mean, I mean, we're 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 half joking, but let's just talk for like two seconds about I'm gonna use the word genius lightly, but let's talk about how genius the WeWork CEO was, okay? So he starts this company. He quickly realizes that they're way over levered and there's no way it's going to come together. He brings in subsequent equity, substantive equity from SoftBank. Then SoftBank pays him about $1.6 billion 
to vacate his stock and his seat, he gets to ride off of the sunset having made about $1.6 billion and, and just leave the bag to, for someone else to figure out. That, that is... I, I, that is genius. I'm sorry. Like it, 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 you know, that is genius. Oh, oh yes. Yes. Bro. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting here scratching my head. I'm like, I'm like trying right, to pick yeah, up like, right. you know, little fees here and there. Right. And this guy, you know, ran a company into the ground and then was asked to leave with a balloon payment of 10. Figures. Ask like, is putting it, ask is putting it nicely. Very nicely. That's true, too. That's true too. <laughs> if I asked, you mean he was escorted out of the building with a box? Yes, he was asked to leave. <laughs> hey, man, well, if he's carrying one of those big checks that you get at like yeah. a golf tournament, thing, it's, you know, it's okay. Please fire me for $1.6 Please. 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 Oh, any, anybody listening there, if you want to buy my business and then fire me for $1.6 billion, I, We'll live stream it. We'll record it on the podcast, Instagram. We'll do it. We'll, we we can get this thing going. So don't worry. I'll, I'll even cut you a deal. I'll do it for twenty five percent of that. That's a little aggressive. Okay, Ben's cheaper than me. Sorry, I can't. I can't. Dog I, face pony soldier. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't. I don't know. I can't I get it for twenty five percent. Some if someone comes up with a four hundred million dollar check, I don't. Th- I don't see you turning it down. I don't know. Put the check in front of me. Put the check in front of me, <laughs> and we'll we'll talk because. Uh, Wait, is this $400 million cash, or is this $400 million I got to report to the federal government? That's a big difference there. You know what? I'm going to put it in a series of brakes trucks and just bring it to the office. Oh, if it's cash, then yeah, I'm out. That's $800 million tax-free. So, yeah, I'm that, yeah. now we're at a 50% discount <laughs> from what you originally said. Yeah, I'm, I'm, buying, I'm getting the passport, heading down to a country with no extradition, and, and I'm going to go buy the presidency down there and never come back. So. Not, not as though you've thought about this at all, right? I mean, all off the top of my head. Just thought of that. That's that's very, um, very random. I mean, you're in the process of you're in the process of getting multiple passports, and so I mean, you're, we're tracking along the, like you're tracking somewhere. You know. Speaking of that, do you think Speaking I should not go to Africa because of the coronavirus? That's a little touch and go, man. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. Will you I be concerned know. for my health? Yes. Oh, look at that. Do you have a life insurance? Do you have like one of those key man life insurance policies out on me? Just in case. I, I don't even have life insurance on myself, much less you. So, no. But see, you should get... I, actually got, called, I, got, called about, I got called about that today, actually. I, I think I need to make, you know, like, maybe... I don't know. I mean, I, you know what? Like, policy for, like, 25 grand or something like that, you know. To cover burial? <laughs> Just send me... Well, I mean, that's all 25 grand would do is, like, cover burial. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, got a little bit more than five, uh, 25 grand on me, unfortunately. Or fortunately, it depends on who. Well, I mean, I won't get to collect it, so unfortunately, I guess. Well, you have, yeah, but you have people that depend on you. I just have two cats. I mean, you know, that's that's pretty simple. Why don't you go ahead and get a five mil policy, roll it out, make me make me the beneficiary for half, just half. Me and me and Tom, we, half we, half. If we do if we do a dual up game, let's go. I've already got a five mil on me. I can't do another one because that. Well, you can get another one, and that would that would really take another whole level to the truce that we have. I mean, that's like even better, Ryan. <laughs> Name the cats as the beneficiaries. And then the cats. And then give yourself power of attorney. Yeah, yeah, so I like that. that. Yeah. You don't actually have to have yeah. U.S. citizenship to administer their <laughs> estate. Why don't you... Wait, uh, I, can make, I can make one of my cats POA over you? I can yeah. do that. That sounds good. Or just give me your Bitcoin information, and when you die, I'll make sure it always taken care of. Okay, so one of my wallets, the code is... Yeah, 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 he's cutting out technical difficulties. So coronavirus, Ben, you're worried that I'm going to go over there and die, or what's your concern? So, you know, I will freely admit that as of current, I'm not really 
I'm not really sure what I'm reading is true, what I'm reading is, is propaganda, what I'm reading is factually based, et cetera. I, I, so I don't know how severe I really think this issue is. Um, all I would tell you is that it's, the way it's being presented uh, across the board is alarming in the sense that this seems to be a relatively generic disease in terms of symptoms, but has some serious teeth behind it that you're, you're, we're seeing cases pop up literally worldwide. Um, you know the massive travel and uh, uh, you know bans or or whatever. Uh, you know how much of this is, like I said, how much of this is propaganda based for for fact based? I really don't know. Uh, but I mean, you know, I've been rethinking. Uh, you know, certainly not making any decisions. I need to see how this all plays out. But I mean, you know, if if this thing gets worse, you know, you and I have a, a trip planned to Spain. I don't know how I don't know how smart it is because Spain is right next to Italy, right? Italy is one of the ones that has seems to have like you know some serious things going on. If this thing continues to spread, I don't know how smart it is. I mean, there was one just in, um, what was it, in New York and then I think California today. You're and more so again, likely to get killed by the bull than coronavirus. You say that, but is that actually accurate? I yes, mean, the death rates what, on the coronavirus so, are like really low. Really low. So that's, so, that's what I, so that's what I don't know because we haven't, I don't think that this thing has been, I don't think it's been around enough for us really to know how much teeth there actually is to the virus. But I mean, so in terms of just like general numbers, obviously, just like the generic flu kills much more people worldwide. I mean, mosquitoes kill much more people worldwide on a yearly basis than, than, than the coronavirus will, it seems, will ever get to. But if this thing spreads and we're not able to find a, a effective cure, I, you know, that's, that's like, you know, I don't know if you read the thing that Bill Gates put out, but he... Um, he made like his monthly whatever was about the coronavirus. And I tend to believe and give him more credence than I would, you know, normal media. And the way he was painting it was. Your normal I, media, I, you're, Ryan. You're, 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 you're mentioning to me, but the way he was paint, painting it was that this is like a hundred year disease, like with some serious teeth. And I, I'm not, I will freely admit, I'm not educated enough to know. I don't have all the facts. But you met, you gave me some hand motion. What was that? First off, I that? resent that comment that you take Bill Gates more seriously than you did me. I take that very seriously. I didn't say you. you. I'm part of the media. I'm part of the media. It's especially been in Russia. Big in Russia. Very big in Russia. Kazakhstan, huge. Okay? That's that's the first thing. Second thing is I, mean, I don't Bill I don't Gates. Know if Hunter Biden, I don't know if Hunter Biden is on your donor list. I mean, like, <laughs> No, Sorry, he's, not, he's, not, he's not. He's not. He's not. Okay, maybe he is. Maybe he is. But still. <laughs> um, but listen, listen, listen. Tell me, what does Bill Gates Foundation get money for? What does Bill Gates Foundation get money for? Yeah. I, I mean, they do a dump. A Disease, medicine. Yeah. yeah. All these things. So, water. If you're Bill Gates and you said, hey, I wonder if I can raise a little money, money for my foundation. Calling this thing a hundred-year pandemic-level global threat zombie do you, apocalypse. Do, do you see the look? That, do you see the look that I'm giving you through the camera? Like, really? I mean, I understand. I understand why you just said what you just said, but I really don't think that Bill Gates is in the position that he needs to be raising funds based out of fear. I don't. I don't buy. I don't. That I don't buy. I don't buy that. I mean, I think he's got plenty of money. I think he's. I think he's doing okay. Oh, so he didn't take. He didn't take donations in. That's what you're saying. That's not what I'm saying. What okay. I'm saying is so if he I, takes I donations, him, if he takes donations, then he's incentivized to say things to get donations. I'll tell you what. You name. You, let's put it about now. This will not be a 100-year uh, pandemic level like the Spanish flu of 18. 
1918. It will not reach the Spanish flu of 1918. Let's put the wager on it now. I'm right. Bill Gates is wrong. Call my shot on March 2nd, uh, 2020. Well, Ryan, you're always right, regardless of facts. No, Let's just get that out of the no, way. No, first. no, no, no. It won't be. It won't be Spanish flu. That's a hundred year. The hundred year mark would be the Spanish flu of 1918. It will not be that bad. I'll, I'll, I'll put money on it right I'm now. Not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take the other side of that because number one, I don't even know what the metric would be. Number two, I don't know how you'd measure that. We'll put it together for you. We'll put it together for you. Oh yeah. So I'm. Gonna, I, yeah, I'm gonna trust your math on a deal. That yeah, that's gonna work. Yeah, good luck. The reality, the reality is, is that you don't trust Bill Gates as much as you said you did. Now you, you know your boy's coming in strong. You're like, oh, he's coming in strong. I don't blame you. When I come in strong, I get scared I too. I would just say I don't that trust, I don't trust anybody. It's not a Bill Gates thing, but yes, if you're asking me to like to verify what Bill Gates you know says and, and give him like my you know unquestioned loyalty and unbiased, then like no, definitely not. But I mean. I believe him more than like if George Soros were to say something. Well, that okay. <laughs> There's orders of magnitude to this thing. Yes, yes. Okay, and I would believe Soros more than I would uh, Bin Laden. Okay, <laughs> so we're, we're we're yes. I got you. We're all, we're we're on the oh. same page. It's close. I mean, it's close. To, if, if, it's close. If Bin Laden were to say something uh, last or like this week, I, I'd have some other questions. Just well, that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's a fair point. So no, overhyped. Not worried about it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I've got to send my thing off to the embassy to get my visa to go to Gambia. So um, unless they tell me I can't come, I'm going. So, the only concern I have so is, is is that I have small children, and they are they are susceptible to it. So that would be the concern. But for me personally, I'm not concerned. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't alarm you that at least optically it seems as though we're talking about a generic flu like virus that is killing people. At, at a, a pretty aggressive rate. I mean, it's, it's not. not a, it's, it's not an aggressive. It's it's not an aggressive mortality rate compared to the cases. But in terms of the number of people that are dying, and we have no path to a cure, and there's there's been no cure. You know, we're not anywhere near curing this thing. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't ping you that it might get substantially worse. No. Why would it? Why would it not? Swine flu, SARS, Ebola. We have between twelve and sixty-one thousand people in America every year that die from the flu. I mean, the fact that this—you're—you're—I mean, think about how quickly this thing has spread from oh, this is some like non-event in China to—I mean, you know, let me put it this way: when when governments literally around the world start to act in unison and 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 start to be alarmed about a disease like this, that's that's alarming to me. More so than just like if this was just coming out of like if this was just coming out of like North Korea, China, and like and Russia, like that's one thing. Okay, but but if you have governments literally from the first world, you know, first world all the way to the destitute that are that are coming out with advisories and whatnot, very rarely do you see countries worldwide across the, the economic spectrum are unified on one thing, and this they're unified on this, and so that that to me at least is an indicator that maybe I need to be paying closer attention. Because I mean, oh, it's so new. You, I don't think I don't think we know. You need to be paying closer attention. I I agree with that. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I would think that you know, um, you know, if you you talk about unifications of government, then government unifies to always clamp down power over people. So yeah, I would definitely be watching. I just don't think for the for the same reason that you're Has thinking. Has it been an hour yet? No, but we can cut it off. We can cut it off. I just <laughs> I just I want to put a little wager down. You you make the terms. I'll put the wager down. If I may suggest something. Nate, the voice of reason. Um, 
the Spanish flu <clears throat> had an infection rate of 33%. Of the world population? Worldwide, yeah. And infected 500 million people. Okay, hold on. Hold on time. Let's just start this. This is 1918. 1918. So commercial air flights weren't a thing. We yeah. hadn't gone to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> so travel was far more restricted. So keep that in mind. So it's harder to spread is all I'm trying to say. In now keep in mind that travel was elevated at that time because there were a lot of soldiers going out of Europe. Sure, elsewhere. but it's not like the travel today where anyone got on a plane anywhere. True. Um, but 33% of the world so population. 500 million people. This is what Gage is talking the world about. population. Um, about 10% of, of the people who were infected died. Okay. So 3% of the world population was killed. So, I'll take you. I'll take under three percent of the world population deaths. Ten percent mortality rate, thirty-three percent of the world population infected. I mean, if we're really going to normalize it, I think you have to normalize it less than that because three percent of the world population died when, like, vaccines of any kind were like barely a thing, if not maybe not a thing, and so they were significantly more under the gun than than today. So I think if you were to give me like less than. One percent of the uh, of the human population. I might take that. Well, of course, less than one percent is going to die. That's a given. Yeah, one less than one percent like, is already died. But yeah, because one percent already died. Less than one percent already died. Now, if we if we want to if we want to use one, the one, one, at least one percent is what I meant. Like one percent being the bottom. One percent. We could also use the absolute numbers and just say if fifty million people die. Then fifty. What's, what's, that's what's, actually in your favor. Fifty million people die. That's in your favor because there's more people today than there was back then. Yeah. 50 million people. Uh, and over how long? A year? Over the course of a year, yeah. So 50 million people before the spring of 2021. I'm down for all your Bitcoin. Your Bitcoin <laughs> versus my Bitcoin, head to head. 15 million. 50 million. 50. 50, million. 50. that's, that's, oh, my, that's, that's prorated. My, my, yeah, my, my, ca- no, my, my counter proposal to you, because the 50, I don't know... Like, Number one, fifty percent is that's a percent and a half of the of the population. Um, and so, my 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 pop, my calculation to you is if if more than fifteen million people, why are you shaking your head? Fifty fifty million is not a percent and a half of the population. Seventy. Uh, you sure? Seventy million people would be worldwide one percent no, no. of the worldwide population. If it's seven billion, if you assume a baseline of seven billion people. Oh, yeah, I was doing my math on three and a half billion. What am I doing? Yeah, I don't know. You're counting China only. You're discriminating. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> um, if how many people have died thus far? Do we have that number? Three thousand. Uh, Five thousand. Yeah, like less less than four thousand. Hang on, I've got these. And how many? Right out of how many cases? Do we it, know that number? Ninety thousand. Ninety thousand two hundred and fifty-seven as of today. Yeah. So okay. So. If you if you want to make a bet, like we can make it realistic. My my number is twelve and a half million people inside of eighteen months. But that's but see that's not as bad as what Gates is talking about. So that's why he would be wrong. That's my point. That's my whole point. If you're if I don't want to do that because that's that means that I'm right. Like I'm right by taking that bet to begin with. You would have to hit fifty billion something people die. There's that would actually be prorated for your vaccination organiz- uh, argument more or less because there's more people today than there was. How many people were there in 1918? Worldwide population was barely I, over no, one billion. What, what I'm getting, what I'm getting at, is that I think even if, and we're getting into the weeds here, but I think even if it was a hundred-year event and it had the mortality rate potential of, of a hundred-year event, I think that our medical 
whatever you want to call it, is up to snuff enough that it would be able to save some of that population. And so if you like, in other words, if we I had, agree, if, I, I guess what I, was, I guess what I'm saying is if we had COVID-19 back in 1818, I think it easily would have killed more people. If not the same. But since we're since we're in today, I think you have to normalize it back I, to I, I know I am how, how far we are in medical. So what so, I'm saying is there was one billion people in 1919. Between 1.5 and two billion. People. So we've got three times as many people over three times as many people today, and I'm still giving you 50 million. So the number back then, if you multiply it times three, would be uh, 150 million people would have died. I'm still giving you 50 million and still calling that a victory. So I'm, I'm so you should multiply the deaths by three. I am normalizing okay, so it. If, 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 if I don't, you know, yes, okay, for if we're qualifying a hundred year event, uh, you know, of this nature of 50 million people or, or over, I will take any odds of any listener that wants to listen, I'll take any odds that we will never have an event like that in his, in the rest of human history. So if, if you want, if you want odds, call me because I mean, that's that's unrealistic, there's just no way. So, I mean, Gates, so Gates is lying. That's thank you, we've agreed. <laughs> uh, no. What, what, no, what I'm saying is that his definition of a hundred-year event is substantively different than the mortality rate being being comparative to the you know the plague or whatever. Okay, I think but here, it's, I know, it's I know. So let me just say, let me just say that if, if you're right on that, let's just give the benefit of the doubt. The problem is when you say that, people go hundred-year event. What happened last hundred years? And they go look at the Spanish flu and they do the math that I just did. They go, oh my god. 150 million people are going to die. We're all going to die. And then Bill Gates like, no, it's like 6 million, bro. It's like, oh, 6 million people? That's nothing. That's insignificant worldwide. So that would be my whole point. That's, that's Again, yeah. so thank you. This is I'll, a great way. I, will, I, will, I, won't, I won't make any correlation to you saying that 6 million people dying is irrelevant. I, now, there's, there's nothing else in history that I'd like to point to. Like, we can keep we can keep. We can keep. Wow! Going. Wow! Wow! Just call it like I see it. Just call it like I see it, Ryan. Wow! <laughs> cue the cue the dog face line pony boy there, because that's that's brutal. That's brutal. I'm sorry. What was that, Ryan? I'm not nothing. Just did you did you? You're a line dog face pony soldier. Yeah. Okay. Ben, where will you be this week? I'm in Midland this week. Midland next week, uh, coming up actually in a couple weeks, uh, I believe it is March 31st and April 1st. There's an oil field water seminar in Houston. Uh, I'll be giving a talk uh, the, the first day of that. And so if you're in Houston for those, I'd uh, love to uh, uh, love to see you. Um, let's see what else. I'm going to Dallas actually. I'm going to, I haven't locked up dates yet, but I'm going, I'm going to be in Dallas at the either the middle of next week or the week after. Oh, wow. Thanks uh, for letting me know. So Appreciate I'm, that. I'm, I'll be, I'll be putting something on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. um, since I haven't actually figured out the dates yet, this is the first I'm hearing I of it. So, about yeah, it yet. wow. Well, since I haven't since I haven't found the dates soldier. yet, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Told, thank you for mm-hmm. that. Um, but if you if you would like to meet with Ryan while I'm there, please uh, <laughs> reach out to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I won't be here some next week. I got to meet with an ambassador down in Houston. Sorry. Unbelievable. Sorry. So that's why I didn't tell you because I didn't think you'd have time for me anyways. I'll just call Jay. I'll just call Jay and we can talk about Oak Tree. It'll be okay. Oh god, I might cancel for that now. That's pretty good stuff. That's pretty good stuff. So I'm gonna get I'm, I'm gonna get him a couple of drinks deep. I'm gonna get the real story. It's gonna be great. I might I might I might press a cord on on the on the phone like, while we're talking just to be able to, you know. That would be wonderful. Just All bring right. me along with you. You won't even need to. Yeah, there you go. All right, well I'll be Texas Long Guys Podcast, Energy Week Podcast, and I will be I'm actually going to Houston tomorrow, so hmm. Be back on Wednesday. So, thanks for thanks for telling me. So I'll you're in you you're in Midland, dude. Something. You're in Midland. You don't live in Houston. Been, I could have been in Houston. I could have been in Houston. I'm, I'm, you don't know. 
And we'll be back next week. Dog face pony shoulder. Yeah, thank you. Have a good week. Oh, is that it? That's it. We're wrapping it. We're having to cut the tape. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this one was actually enjoyable. Uh, As always, you made some great points. You're always right. I'm just trying to save face by by throwing things out there. Appreciate you uh, giving me time. T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently, so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan, so you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com awards.